0: This is Peter.
1: And this is Tom.
0: And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska. Hello. We thought that maybe we should do something that deals with the holidays. So so here we are. This this is our little
1: holiday episode somewhat exactly it's our it's this is our chris welcome to our christmas special it's more of a christmas special yes this is the yeah history, I would say teacher, history teacher podcast uh christmas special
0: if you think so like when we kind of talked about doing this we wrestled with the idea of well like all right let's try to do like a holiday special and again there is a plethora of religions in the United States. I'm pretty sure every religion in the world is represented in the United States. It would be impossible for us to cover all of them and all the different yeah, holidays. Just our forty five, just
1: our forty five minute podcast. Yeah, yeah.
0: So seventy two percent of religious affiliation in the United States. Right, seventy two percent is Christian, and that is actually that just fell from about eighty three percent just ten years ago. But seventy three seventy two percent of Americans um, identify themselves as Christian and celebrate Christmas. The highest growing religion in the United States and the quickest growing religion in the United States is actually being atheist. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I could see. That. Yep. With about
1: twenty or. But that's uh, not a religion. T- no. Is that a religion? Well, that's the thing. No, they're, so they're not kind of. They're not really a religion. They're just. They're just declaring themselves atheist, I guess.
0: The third largest religion in the United States is um, the Jewish religion, and that's only makes up about 1.7%. So I was unaware of the, the big disparity between Christian religion and the Jewish religion, and especially the you know, fact that over 20% of Americans consider themselves to be non-believers. So I started researching this, and I said, well, what if you consider yourself to be an atheist? Does that mean that you don't really partake in any of the holiday festivities you might say and actually
1: they still do um, right they just don't they still do they just celebrate the day they celebrate the the spirit it's not a the spirit of christmas the traditions of christmas but not the actual happy birthday jesus aspect of it exactly exactly
0: so what i came to find out is like as you said this is very much, and Christmas in the United States particularly has become very much a secular holiday. You know, it's almost viewed as like a Hallmark holiday, which was never really the intent because there's so much Christian. Um, I mean, it's literally the birth of Jesus. That's what you're celebrating Christmas. But it has become so much more than a, about religion. I mean, Christmas is, as you said, it's just like this holiday spirit and this feeling of giving and there's so many traditions oh, yeah. if you just watch yeah, any just, wa- just
1: watch lifetime, a lifetime or hallmark channel that's always on in my house at this time of year with all those little, literally um all those um christmas specials you know when the executive goes to a small town and finds finds love but does she really yeah. want love like that's i mean they're on <laughs> does she really want, they, love? They, <laughs> they really want love and it's the spirit of christmas and all this stuff but um yeah it's one of those things that it's, a, it's part of Americana now, and we're just going to kind of explore how it becomes part of Americana. Because a lot of American – it's become an Americanized, Westernized, whatever you want to call it, and it's celebrated differently in different parts of the world. But the Christmas that we're talking about is more of a American version of Christmas that is very – Like you said, it just has a lot of aspects from other things that's pulled in from all over the place, with Santa Claus, with the reindeer, candy canes, presents, all that stuff. And we'll try to get to the bottom of some of the history behind some of those things.
0: Absolutely. Again, so this is not meant to be a religious uh, episode. This is more of like the Americanized version of Christmas. And I also
1: have some things that deal with Hanukkah as well. Well, basically the idea is, but before anything else, which I guess state, you know, like Christmas, as we, as has happened, it's been around it's been celebrated for, they can say, about 2,000, over 2,000 years. And they've been reserving it. Uh, people have been observing it, different traditions, practices. Um, and it is supposedly to uh, celebrate the birth uh, anniversary of the birth of Jesus. Um, and Christmas has actually been a federal holiday in the United States since 1870. So I'm going to give you that. And why it's celebrated the time of year that it is, um, the middle of winter has always been a time of celebration, like around the world. Um, it's really because people are celebrating the winter solstice. A lot of times they would, um, slaughter all the animals because they didn't want to, or mostly animals because they didn't want to feed them during the winter. So they would slaughter them to have these big feasts. So then they would actually, everyone would be eating meat and stuff like that. And it was a way to get, to deal with like the longer nights because the days are so, so short. So that's one reason. So it corresponds with the winter solstice basically, because I was, I've seen research with this before. I don't know if you're going to get to this, Peter, but I know we're not going to talk too much religion here, but Jesus was, a lot of historians will argue that the actual man who was Jesus of Nazareth was probably born in the summer. But one of the main reasons they celebrate Christmas as his birthday in the winter was because with the Romans and everything, they were able to celebrate kind of like hide their celebrating of his birthday during the time of the winter solstice. They were able to hide it that way. That's one reason why they think that probably happened that way. Hmm. A little tidbit there.
0: A lot of the holiday traditions that we have yeah. in this country, um, actually come from, from Germany. They're pagan, right? yeah, i more pagan.
1: pagan. Norse, pagan. Pagan, yeah. German.
0: Yeah. Even like, let's start with, I mean, start with the main one, right? Your, your good old Christmas tree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that stems from, they say, like Middle Ages, Germany, and other European settlers, the, you know, the kind of popularized idea of a Christmas tree. They looked at something that was... Eternal, right? Was that the idea? Eternal. That was
1: the whole point. That was the the, ever, the evergreen, I right? It. The tree that doesn't lose its leaves, all that stuff. For the United
0: States, particularly, the first really christmas tree lot was in 1851 it was in new york um, there was a woodsman named mark carr and he is credited with opening the first ever u.s christmas tree lot in 1851 and again it was mostly catering to
1: europeans
0: yeah they then, came over
1: they wanted to bring the traditions with 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 them exactly
0: by by uh 2019 there's a survey that was made by the american christmas tree association That says that 77% of U.S. households, I know American Christmas (laughs) Tree Association, (laughs) I was like, what? Um, Predicted that 77% of U.S. households displayed a Christmas tree in their home, right? So among those trees on display, an estimated 81% were artificial and 19% were real, which means that most people that have a Christmas tree have an artificial Christmas tree. Hmm.
1: I did not know that. If you think think in like the cities and things of that nature, like people are going to have... There's more people living there. They're probably going to have an artificial tree just right, because it, it's sense. probably a lot more. It's a lot easier and things like that. Plus, if you have younger kids, it might be easier. You don't have those pine needles going everywhere. But I saw oh, with animals. The, yeah, the animals, but the Christmas tree is obviously they were using this for a long time. And even in a lot of the cities in the 1800s, when they were having these Christmas trees, if this, they didn't have electricity, they would actually put candles on the tree.
0: That's how my mommy actually told me that. That's the way. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back and and, and, like the 50s, yeah. no, I was no, no, just
1: like, wow, that's I mean, you're taking a dried out pine tree. And you're putting in your house and you're putting, you know, wax and candle and flame on it. <laughs> like it just, that's uh, that's, that's, that's actually going to happen. I'm sure that happened quite a bit. I know it doesn't, it can't really happen now. I remember well, seeing a Mistbusters episode where they put so many lights on a Christmas tree to try to set it on fire. And they even try to make the wires short circuit, like specifically designed not to do that. That's why if like one light goes out, a lot of them might go out. It just makes sure wow. that like they can't be a short and somehow like ignite your tree. But I guess most people have plastic trees. It's That can still happen, but not as easily.
0: And now you have LED lights on them, which don't even get
1: hot. Well, now you just buy uh, the tree. You buy the artificial tree. The lights are built in. You <laughs> know, according
0: to history.com, um, Martin Luther uh, was actually the first person to add lights to a Christmas tree. Um, you know, like the Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. Yes, I I, 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 I'm aware of um, that. <laughs> uh, apparently, he came up with the idea when he was admiring like stars that were – glittering through the pine trees that he was just standing outside and looking at these pine trees and he saw the stars glittering behind him. He's like, wow, that's beautiful. So they said that he decided to bring a tree home and add candles to it to create a very similar effect uh, that he could share with his family. So that's kind of where that supposedly comes from. And as I mentioned before, the Christmas tree itself was made popular in Germany in 1800s and the German immigrants were the ones that kind of brought it over and brought that tradition over to America. Yeah, because The
1: Germans were basically, um, a lot of them were pagan, and they they honored the pagan god Odin, you know, Thor's dad. Odin. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, basically, and they were terrified of Odin. Odin was not, like, this beloved, you know, like they shown in, like, the Marvel movies wasn't this, like, nice guy. They basically believed that he made, like, flights at night through the sky, and he would observe people. And if you were evil, you, he would kill you right there on the spot. Um, so that's why a lot of people oh. chose to stay inside during this time. Again, I think that kind of links into, it's kind of a theory of, that kind of links into with a lot of things that um, Santa Claus will eventually do. He's flying over the night sky looking for people who are doing uh, good or bad deeds. In this case, a little more extreme that he just kills you right there. If you're, if you're doing something naughty, but um, yeah, so there, that Odin is be actually a factor in Christmas time too.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And kind of go with the idea of lights, you know, in Christmas tree um, trees, Thomas Edison's um, friend, Edward Johnson is the person responsible for bringing the idea of stringing bulbs around Christmas trees, they say by 1914 the lights were being mass produced, and now about 150 million sets of lights are sold in the United States each year. Wow. Um, should we kind of get should we get Saint Nick out of the way over here?
1: Yeah, I guess we kind of talked. I kind of uh, went that way, I guess, with the whole Odin thing. So we might as well talk a little bit about.
0: Might as well. Talk <laughs> I mean, you think, you think
1: Christmas? That's probably like the number the number two thing that people think of.
0: So, Santa Claus, right? What, are we, uh, what do we got about Santa Claus? Well, there's
1: a lot with Santa. So, we got to talk about kind of like the origins, the idea of St. Nicholas, and then the Americanized version of St. Nicholas that also comes. So, the legend of Santa, they can actually trace back to a monk named St. Nicholas who was born in Turkey around 280 AD. And he basically would give away all of his inherited wealth. He was rich and gave away a lot of this wealth and traveled the countryside, helping the poor, helping the sick. He was known as the um, protector of children and sailors. So, he, became, he, he was well known. And um, it really starts to enter into American popular culture, like the 18th century in New York. I got Dutch families came older. They uh, they are the anniversary of his death of uh, Saint Nicholas, okay, the Dutch saint for Saint Nicholas or Santa Claus for short. And then slowly over time, that becomes um, Santa Claus. But really became big in the United States was a um, poem by Clement Cl- uh, Clark Moore called yes. um, "An Account of." The Night before Christmas. Well, no, yeah, it was called the, "An Account of Visit from Saint Nicholas." We know it today by the first line of the poem, which is Twas the Night Before the Christmas. Night before. Yep. And this was put in all the newspapers um, in 1822. And this poem really became like the American version of St. Saint, of Saint Nicholas, of Santa Claus. This jolly fat man who flies around in a sleigh. It's the first time the reindeer, which we'll get to, the reindeer get names delivering toys. Mm-hmm. And people read this and it was a little sketch that went along in, with the poem in a lot of the newspapers of Santa Claus. And he's actually tiny. Santa Claus himself at this time, they say it in the um, play that he's a jolly old elf. So he's, this, he's, a, he's a tiny little little guy. He's not this big guy. He's not wearing red. Actually, in a lot of the earlier images of Santa Claus, he's wearing green. Um, the image mm-hmm. of red Santa actually doesn't come out until the 1920s. Thomas
0: Masks. Well, well, Thomas Snaps is the one that creates Santa as we know him, right? Harper's Weekly. Well, yeah, the
1: late eighteen hundreds th- that comes to place, but the whole red and white is um, yeah, that makes sense. Is uh, Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola puts yep. Santa Claus in their advertisements and Coca Cola's colors are red and white. So the whole idea of Santa wearing red and white is Coca Cola. So you see those early images in the 20s of Santa Claus like a chocolate in the lap, and that's all. That's from Coca-Cola. So I thought that was kind of crazy. I remember reading about that yeah. before, but that Coca-Cola actually influenced the colors of Santa. That's why he he wears red and white because Coca-Cola said he does.
0: That's insane, isn't it? So
1: that's kind of there's that Americana Because You see Santa Claus in all of other countries. He's not necessarily wearing red and white, at least like the the true Father Christmas version.
0: And you know, and as I was saying before, with Thomas Nast. So Thomas yeah, Nast, um, very known cartoonist, 1800s. Um, he illustrated Santa for Harper's Weekly, late 1800s, and that's where we get this idea of Santa being like this kind of chubby, white beard, jolly, elderly yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, like jolly old elderly dude, like a round guy. Like that comes from Thomas Nast. Before that, you know, there was no. Like I said, I guess Coca-Cola, you, you might say, popularized it eventually. And kind of solidified what Santa looks like, but Thomas Nass is the first one to really say, No, it's like this older dude that has a white beard and a big belly and you know, suspenders.
1: Yeah, presented that modern and, um, image. Read anything about mall Santas? I saw some things about, um, like the whole idea of a mall Santa, and Scott, a lot of different places have argued that they were the first ones to have a mall Santa.
0: Yep. Yeah. so one of these people is James Edgar. Um, of Massachusetts, right? In 1890, yeah, he Becker. had a store. Yeah, he has got a, he had a store. And basically, uh, to attract people, he decided he's going to dress like Santa. So he made himself a suit, dressed you know as, as Santa, and kind of hung out at his dry goods store. And it was a gimmick, really, for kids to come in. Yeah, because, you know, and go get a picture
1: with Santa, go see Santa.
0: Exactly. And it was like, yeah, go see Santa, go see Santa. And then before you know it, he was like, well, maybe I'll charge a little bit, you know, like a couple pennies here and there for for me to talk to these kids as Santa. And that's kind of really where the department
1: store Santa comes from. Yeah. Well, but in Macy's argues that they were the first ones to do it. They, that they were hosting Santa since the 1860s. Um, and 1862. 62, yeah. they said. But, um, yeah, so they have this whole debate. What's going on? Because obviously Macy's with their Thanksgiving, Day parade it ends with Santa every year and 20, uh, miracle on, um, what was it miracle on 24th street right yep. that right that was that was a bit of macy santa so the whole idea of you know santa claus and macy's kind of also tied in with um american culture but yeah james edgar argues that he had, he had it first and but it starts that trend now you see the mall santas everywhere and i've read another article those, those guys that who are playing mall santas they can make a lot of money just in that and they, short, they take it very seriously they, i'll take it guys. they take it very seriously rightfully so i mean they're doing a great thing for the the kids, and most of them are pretty um, nice. I actually have a, uh, I don't know if I shared this, but uh, it was an interesting story that actually happened. It was it last year, actually, in the mall by me. Um, it was in the papers and stuff. The um, I had my son with me at the time, but we were in the mall buying someone else. And all of a sudden, we saw these ambulances, you know, paramedics. And the, the Santa actually had a heart attack. Oh, jeez. Right there in the no, mall. no pun, <laughs> right no pun he, he, he had a heart attack right there in the mall. And then um, they replaced him in a different Santa, like halfway through. Like they had he didn't there was like a delay because the other Santa, they had to bring in another Santa. I think the, he, he I'm didn't. Sorry, I'm, he, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. It, uh, did he live? I mean, I, I from he what, did. I mean, I was, I, I I don't know exactly. I think he did. I read something in the paper. I remember I was there when it was going on and I remember seeing it on like a little like blurb and like, you know, the the local paper and they said, I believe it said the guy was okay, but he, I did have like a mild. I think they called it like like a mild episode, but they had to actually like replace him. Like maybe that must have been traumatizing for the kids. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I was just really happy that I didn't have my kids. You know, with me at that point gotcha. but that- what's happening to santa oh he's having a heart attack a new santa will come yeah okay. it was like 20 minutes later, a new santa comes like they just had a guy on standby like we had to bring in the replacement santa so. that is insane uh, it was because kind of like well that could have been traumatizing that is so. insane anyway but um, anyway <laughs> i guess still some going with santa uh, i don't know if you want to keep with santa now or what do we want to do
0: yeah what else you got what else you got with santa
1: well, obviously he was like, he's super popular. He becomes this like this, the staple basically of it. Um, the Salvation Army has been sending Santa's places, right? Collecting um, um, since the 1890s, you had a famous thing um, that happens. A lot of bars around the country. We have like, we have Santa Con or the Santa Crawl. I'm sure you heard about that. was mm-hmm. Santa Runs. Yeah, Santa Runs. But the one in Hoboken actually got shut down in um, New Jersey because so many of these young kids would come in. Basically the idea was you dress up like Santa and you go to the different bars. And mm-hmm. it became so intense. You actually had thousands and thousands of these college kids dress up as Santa Claus that then the next day it was uh, – they were calling it, like ruckus, chaos. The next day you have all these like passed out Santas all throughout the streets of Hoboken, New Jersey and stuff like that. So they actually banned it. They, they no longer allow it because they just got too out of hand. It's like,
0: hey, mommy, what, why is that Santa laying in his farm? It was always the same thing.
1: It was in like Hoboken. It was in New York City all, all at the same time. Of course, so, it's in Jersey. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just it's had a we just had a Zoom call with Santa earlier today. Oh, you win! So yes, yeah, so and my one son punched the screen. So I was like, "Oh, that's not gonna <laughs> that's, always- that's not gonna go over very well." The other son was like, eh. my oldest son was terrified." He's like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "You're gonna be on the naughty list." What's like, Santa doing in a computer? No, he just punched. He just punched the screen. He's like, "I don't." know. I like, said, "I'm on the bad list," and just punched Santa. I'm like, "Oh."
0: Going back to Christmas. You you just mentioned briefly something about the Salvation Army uh, bell ringers. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stems from. Uh, by the way, that's still going on today. I uh, yeah, I saw someone in my town, you know, wearing a mask and everything, and and doing it um, last week, which is which is awesome. Um, so collecting money for the needy really stems from uh, since like eighteen ninety one, and tradition for the Salvation Army bell ringers started in San Francisco um, with a Salvation Army Captain Joseph Mc- McPhee. Um, he wanted to raise money to offer a free Christmas dinner to about a thousand people in the city. Um, and he was very much inspired with, you know, by this kettle that he saw in England where people tossed in coins for the poor. So he kind of set up his own kettle version. You know, that's kind of where it comes from. It comes out of a kettle and from England, uh, painted a red and his idea kind of quickly spread around the country and the world. And today, Salvation Army helps more than 4.5 million people during the holiday season. Um, which is kind of cool, and actually, they, they're kind of, you know, definitely uh, 2020 here. They um, they now uh, accept donations made via yeah. smartphones, smartphones, yeah, like...
1: Venmo, and all that stuff. Yeah, I saw they have a know, giant like... one in Times Square. I believe that you can just walk by and like swipe your card or swipe your Apple code, and it'll just you know donate it that way. You don't have to go near it.
0: That's kind of cool, right?
1: Um, uh,
0: Christmas cards. Did you find anything about Christmas cards?
1: Um, other than I, a whole bunch have been coming in the mail lately. No, I didn't really look up anything on uh, <laughs> so, the idea of Christmas. First, well, I know they were mailed in, um, I think, what, England was the first place, right? That's where they Yeah, came it out. was.
0: So Christmas cards initially were – they were not cards per se. They were – you would send these Christmas notes and Your messages. A message, yeah, like a um, message.
1: To, to and people
0: them. would actually write them out. Yeah, you would write them out. But then what happened is um, the very first official Christmas card, right, was invented – Um, by Englishman Sir Henry Cole in 1843. So Cole was too busy to kind of write the individualized Christmas greetings um, to his relatives, which is what people did back then. So he commissioned his artist friend, um, John Horsley, to uh, illustrate a scene with like a short message on the back. So Horsley, um, again, did this guy a solid, uh, printed 1,000 of these cards. And a scene in the card kind of showed a holiday celebration, and it read... Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you! And that is the first official Christmas card in
1: 1843. Um, and it catches on. Yep. Um, Hallmark catches on, right? Yes. With that, and they're the ones that put the um, make it like the carving note today, but like the folding card slot with an like with with an envelope in it, so they can actually mail them and yep. stuff like that. And now it's becoming a whole big thing. Got to go get your holiday pictures, whatever. And well, it's two billion.
0: As they say, that nearly two billion Christmas cards are sent oh, yeah, I'm sure. every year. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and it came to the United States in the 18... Before Hallmark, it, um, actually, in 1874, uh, an American Louis Prang opened a shop in Boston. Yeah, but I think when he Hallmark is when
1: it golf. catches on fire. Absolutely. Surely.
0: It actually says that once Hallmark uh, took it, it was you know produced like 5 million cards every year, um, even in 1800s, which is crazy. Another story that kind of comes in here is... Uh, Do you hear the story behind the story of Rudolph? I think that's an interesting... Well, story. Yeah, well, the whole
1: idea, he was... Um it was created. It was a short story that Mm -hmm. was made to bring people into a, uh, it was a book that they gave to parents if they spent so much money at like a department store. Mm -hmm. So that's basically how it uh, caught on like another one of Santa's reindeer.
0: Yeah. So Robert May,
1: I believe Right. Robert Robert L. May. Yeah.
0: Yep. Robert May, Chicago department store. Um, So it was a coloring book. He created a coloring book and like a story that went along with it.
1: Um, It really catches on big when you have the, um, in the seven, the sixties, the sixties when that um, Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys comes out. That's when he was really yeah. popular. And there was a cartoon, I believe, that uh, came out shortly after that, um, maybe by Disney, short, you know, five minutes. But when that stop-go animation, whatever you want to call it, which was really popular in the nineteen sixties, when that Rudolph and the Misfit Toys came out, that 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 was when he became like an American symbol. Was Rudolph the Red Nosed yeah. Reindeer? It was with that yeah. toys and the Island of Misfit Toys and santa and all that stuff
0: well so there's also a cool story behind this whole book in itself and a story because it original and, and originated in 1939 right montgomery ward um chicago department store um asked the copywriter robert may to create this coloring book for children and may himself used to be teased a lot as a boy so he wrote about a reindeer who was teased for his you know red nose um and ultimately found acceptance but Not long after he created his book in 1939, May's wife got cancer and passed away and kind of left him with a lot of medical debts and a young daughter to care for. So Montgomery Ward, you know, the owner of the Chicago store, actually gave May the rights to Rudolph, even though it belonged to the the store. But they gave the rights to Rudolph back to May um, so he could publish it and make some money off of it. And that's what they did. They basically his May's brother-in-law was a musician and he said the words to music. And that's where Rudolph's red Red-Nosed the Reindeer became a yeah. you know, song, and which is kind of really neat. It's a cool, cool Christmas story, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, I guess yeah, since right. we're on the talk about um, Rudolph, might as well talk about how the reindeer got put in, got thrown onto this. And there's a lot of yeah. theories out there, but so the biggest one is probably that a lot of pagans were being convert, were converting to Christianity during the Middle Ages. A lot of these winter festivals, and traditions, and a lot of their beliefs kind of got entangled with these Christian beliefs and became celebrations for Christmas. And um, a lot of this cover, right, comes from uh, Thor. Obviously, we know him for, like, you know, Chris Hemsworth, the Marvel movies. But he was a really popular um, the god of thunder um, in Norse mythology. And he was probably one of the most popular of all these gods. And there are a lot of images and stories that Thor basically flew through the skies, not with his hammer, but with a um, sled pulled by two large horned goats. That's basically what he would do. And he would fly over. That's how Thor would go places. He had these two mystical goats that would pull his sled. And they're thinking that that kind of morphed in with the whole idea that a lot of these people are from Eastern Europe, Scandinavia. You had these large populations of reindeer. And then they just kind of morphed in with having the whole idea of um, reindeer pulling the sleigh. These because they are working sort of like these mysterious um, creatures. And there's actually an um, interview that um, an individual who wrote, um, one of the editors for the New York New York Sentinel, who published the Nightmare Before the Nightmare Before Christmas the, the Night Before Christmas, and he basically talked about it, and he's like, "Well, how did the reindeer get to the roof?" And he says, "Oh, they fly." So that that kind of like gets thrown in with that whole thing. And that was in 1823. And the names are actually first the first time the reindeer get names was in that Visit from Saint Nicholas the, the was the Night Before Christmas, and he says, "You know, now Dasher, now Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid." In the original story, it's actually Dunder and Blixem, not not um Donner and Blitzen. It actually changes over time. Um and those words Dunder and Blixum are actually the German words for thunder and lightning. So and they, they get replaced eventually in the 20th century. They actually change that, make it more anglicized whatever you want to call it.
0: That's kind of cool, so, huh?
1: Yeah so the original one is actually Dunder and Blixum." I thought that was kind of weird, but you know we know it as Donner and Blitzen. Huh. So that was kind of cool. And you know just kind of all right there's little tidbits. What else you got? You got anything else? Oh, I got tons. So what are we talking about? All I right.
0: mean, I, I was going to go to poinsettas. You want to go to poinsettas? Uh, poinsettas? are just, just flowers.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Dad. Then I, I got some stuff on candy <laughs> <kidney> canes. <laughs> <stuff on>
0: kidney <laughs> they're just flowers. They're just, Let's red, go to they're just, just red flowers. Uh, they're actually named after a guy who's Joseph Poinsett. He was an ambassador, a U.S. ambassador to Mexico, which wow. is kind of interesting. So, so watch this. So he's he goes to Mexico. He's in a, he's an ambassador there in 1800s, and he's intrigued by these, these like vibrant red flowers that that the fact that he's really intrigued by um, is the fact that they kind of bloomed in the Advent season, like they bloom in winter. So he thought it was kind of interesting and, and he was botanist um, as like a hobby. And he decided to bring the flower back to the United States. So he did. And he basically named a flower after himself. I did and hear that. So, I did. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Joseph
0: Poinsett, you know, named it Poinsettas. Um, and he started um, setting these things out all over different media outlets, um, and that's kind of how it caught on. And he would do this around the holidays every single year. So I thought it was kind of interesting. All right, let's go to let's go to candy canes. I know candy that's canes. more interesting. All
1: right, so a lot of people they <laughs> even eat candy canes, right? They hang them on the trees. It's actually the number one selling non chocolate candy during December. Yes, um, I can see that. So it dates all the way back to the 1670s in Germany. Um, and really there's a lot of theories with, with, with a candy cane, what it's supposed to represent with the white just, um, the white and red stripes. The whole idea is that if you really look at like a real candy cane, when I say real candy cane, not like the Starburst, the gummy bear candy cane, but like a traditional type of candy cane, there should be one line that's thicker, and they said that's supposed to represent the um, the blood of Christ. That's whole thing. So Again, a candy cane is actually a pretty religious symbol, and the reason it has its shape as of a cane is a, a shepherd's cane um, again, when the shepherd sees the um the Star star of David shining in the sky. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's what supposed to represent. And then a lot of people were arguing that it's also, if you flip the candy cane over, it's a J for Jesus. That's kind of just like a, um, not really why it was made there. But they really become popular in the United States in the 1840s when you have an immigrant. Um, Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check
0: out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.
1: In Wooster, Ohio, that basically starts selling these. And then by the 1950s, it really becomes popular because by that point, you have automation. They created an automated candy making machine. And then once that comes to place, you're just getting them everywhere. That's where it becomes a staple. And then that kind of ties in with the Santa Claus. You go visit Santa. What does Santa give you? It gives you one of those little candy canes, right? You get a candy cane when you visit Santa. So it kind of ties in with the mall Santa's becoming really popular with the consumer culture in the 1950s. The candy, you have the automated machine. All that comes together. And now it, it's pretty much become like a staple. And you have that song, right? You know, leave a peppermint stick for old St. Nick, uh, rock around the Christmas tree, all that other good stuff. So um, it just becomes Americana after that point. I always saw that one. Two that's things, cool. yeah. Two
0: things, yeah. That's cool. That, two things just popped in my head. Uh, one is something that you said that dealt with like the hidden um, Christian meaning that we often forget. Yeah. You know, in yeah. something as simple. And the other thing is talk about a song. Um, I just remembered. Didn't you dance
1: with your mom Wait, we're, at we're, your we're wedding? we gonna bring that up, but uh, yeah. Yes, the, the, the song my, at my wedding, um, the song that you, the son always dances. With. I just remember. Yes, the, the Sun always dances with their uh, mother to a song. And on um, the song that my mother and I danced to was Frosty the Snowman. So, yes, it was a Christmas song.
0: Yes. You, you, you care to elaborate?
1: Um, yeah, apparently, when I was young I don't know, five, six, seven I told my mom and Frosty the Snowman came on the radio that that was going to be my wedding song. Going to be "Frosty a Snowman. So then when the wedding came, I like, got right, what song should we dance to? Uh, we decided, she was like, oh, let's do Frosted a Snowman because you said that was going to be your wedding song. So we'll dance to that song. And I remember so we had a band at my wedding and they were like, we told them, yeah, can you play Frosted a Snowman? And they were like, wait, what? Really? And it, they thought it was like a joke, like yeah, no, no. There's like usually it's like you know they have they had a list of songs. No, we can do any of these songs if you want to your mother. These are nice like fathers, father daughter, uh, father daughter, father mother father mother son songs, <laughs> mother father cousin, <laughs> oh, yeah, whatever. Um, it's a long day, it's a long day, I've been shoveling all day. No, um, uh, mother son songs and. Um, they did Frosted a Snowman. If you remember, I remember this. They didn't do the whole song. They did like only part of it. And they're like, all right, let's do something. They were just, they felt very awkward, I think, singing this um, song. I don't even know if they knew the whole thing, but it's memorable. You know, it, I don't think there's many other people I could, that honestly I can say have Frosted a Snowman as their um, one of their wedding songs. So
0: that is definitely a true statement. It's it. unique, yes. So, um, the other part, the other thing I kind of got from what you were saying with the candy cane, the hidden Christian meaning is door wreaths. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we all have these wreaths that are hanging over the place, yeah, they're there but them. really, um, what they represent, uh, the, ho- the holly leaves and berries are symbolic of Christ's crown, yeah, the, and thorns and blood. blood, yeah, which is
1: really not. <laughs> I'm not the right word. I mean, you don't think about that when you hang a wreath. No, you know gotta, You're like oh, you well. make the. Plus, you have to always buy. You can buy the little reefs, right? You have the little reef kits, so you can make like your kids yeah, and stuff a. Yeah, there's a lot that. of red bows, and you put the red bows. They represent bows. blood. Yeah, on it's Jesus. like yeah, there's the blood and like, the thorns yeah. they put on Jesus's head. Like it, it is like some intense stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, but again, just shows how much we've commercialized. I mean, exactly. again, we're talking about. American Christmas. It's not
1: Christian per se. Christmas. Well, yeah, we want to talk um, about the, like the other Christmas. I know we're getting a little off topic, but I have a um, one of my fellow co-workers. He actually taught for many years in Germany, and he um was talking about this is before like the movie about Krampus. He was telling me about Krampus. This was years ago, and I didn't really know much about Krampus. I heard of it, whatever. He actually um brought in then a couple years ago, he brought in like a video VHS of his when his he's older now when his kids were like very young and in germany you can actually have a guy come to your house like it's like you know they have like the mall centers here you can like pay some guy to come to your house that looks like an evil version instead and i like the krampus or, like the horns and that like beast it looks Man. a lot like santa but he's krampus and he comes in and the kids are supposed to tell him the bad things he does and then he hits the kids with a um with a bunch of twigs. And hits huh. them with these twigs and that's supposed to like, you know, all right, now you be good from now on and listen to your parents. So he, he was actually showing his, his video to us. and We were like, oh, my God. He's, imagine like you're like a six, seven year old kid. This guy comes to your door. He's a guy who's huge. He has a beard and everything. He comes in. He's yelling at you. Now, this was German. So it's also kind of intense. Okay. He's yelling at these kids and then the kids have to tell him the bad things. And then the kids are crying because they're saying the bad things. And the guy starts hitting them. Not hard, but he's hitting them with sticks this like bundle of sticks, and she's like, you be good otherwise I'm going to come and put you in my sack. And then he leaves. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, if that's going to traumatize a kid, I don't know, you see these kids yeah. that cry when they have to go in like Santa's lap and stuff. I'm like, imagine if Santa was like beating them with sticks and stuff like that. But no, no, it just sort of was an interesting little tidbit there for Trinders. Um
0: You know, one, uh, one other uh, tradition around the holidays, which I think it's, you know, with, with, I don't know where the world is going, but Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes, everyone knows right? Charlie Brown Which,
1: Christmas.
0: Right? Which has been... first time it aired was December 9th, 1965. And it's aired every single year since then. Until this year when Apple bought the rights to Charlie Brown yeah, holiday but,
1: special. Yeah, but I remember they still broadcast it. I believe the Charlie no, Brown they did. Christmas... did. There was such an outcry. There was such an outcry that yeah. it wasn't on TV. So I'm sure they'll probably do the same thing with Charlie Brown Christmas.
0: Well, no, I know. But think about it. You need to actually have... It's the free subscription to Apple TV, but unless you have streaming and internet, right? You,
1: don't get it. you can't you right?
0: watch Charlie Brown Christmas anymore, yeah. versus this one's over the air.
1: I used to be on like yeah, every channel. Continuously since 1965. So you can buy the tree. You can buy, they call it like a, if a Christmas tree is like falling apart, they just call that's a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You know, like I
0: actually have a little Charlie Brown Christmas yeah. tree. I bought it. You an can buy one, school. but
1: I know just like, that was always like the saying. If you buy, if it was like a small Christmas tree that was like, you know, Everything was coming off it. Oh, that's a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I was like, it became part of like the holiday, yeah. And you know what's
0: crazy is that initially it was rejected by CBS because they said it was too Christian. And when I started thinking about it, and I watched it, you know, I watch it every year with my kids, but I watched it last year. And when you start thinking about when they start singing and all that, you're just like, yeah, this actually is a very like religious cartoon. And, you know, you don't think about that. Until you actually think about it. Next time, guys, you're out there watching Charlie Brown Christmas, think about it from, like, the CBS 1960s perspective when they're
1: like, eh, maybe this is a little too religious. And it kind of ushered in for all these other Christmas specials to come out because of how popular that was. Again, you have, like, the Rudolph ones. You have Frosty. You have a crazy right, get one. get to your favorite one. Get to your well, shoe, you Well, you have – no, you have other ones. I was going to talk about probably one that you liked that the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh my
0: goodness, the uh, worst uh, Hollywood. George oh, Lucas
1: well. still says hasn't happened. Have you have you ever seen it? I've actually seen it. You can find the clips now on mm-hmm. YouTube. It is bad.
0: Oh, I've seen it. First it of all, Ka-
1: Carrie Fisher. You know, yeah. <laughs> no disrespect, but she is high, drunk, and everything. She's admitted to this later on. That's why I'm saying in like her, her autobiography yeah. that she was on like some. She was just didn't even know was, on drugs. She was. Yeah. You know what was even going on when she was singing in this one. But tip, uh, I know like Star Wars fans that's the first time you ever saw Boba Fett was in that holiday special
0: it was a cartoon it was, like a, it it was, was a, a cartoon
1: and they showed him in empire strikes back later on but that was the first time you ever saw boba fett and he's back now right he's back in the mandalorian i believe he is oh did you see it no oh, I, I haven't so. seen the last couple uh, episodes oh, I don't intense. Know, but i heard he is back so that's that's that's, that's kind of cool but um, in a He-Man and She-Ra special. Oh, right? my God. I know. That's, that's that's my favorite. I watch it every year. I knew That's why I, I said, said that. that. The He-Man. I know. I was, when we, Peter and I sometimes talk about the podcast. Like, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, listen, if we're going to do holidays, I have to talk about holiday specials and the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special, which is, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure it's on YouTube. You can buy the DVD. I have the DVD that comes with another DVD that just talks about the behind the scene makings. When I was a kid, I don't know. There's something about it. was just so I've watched it since then. I watched it with my kids. And I, it's not very good. I know it's not very good.
0: Some of these things just don't age well. It though. doesn't
1: age well. It's He-Man and Shira, But um, the whole thing that I loved so much about it or when I was a kid was that they somehow come to, like, Earth, like our Earth. And these two little kids find them. And the two little kids um, find Skeletor. And then he teaches, yeah, they teach Skeletor about Christmas. And then Skeletor becomes nice for a day. Because he, he gets the Christmas spirit and Skeletor is all angry that he has a Christmas spirit. And he's like – he's helping these little kids get back home. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this is oh, awesome. Good. They even make Skeletor – Christmas even makes Skeletor like a good guy and stuff like that. I don't know. Oh, good. I don't know. You're laughing at me. Uh-huh. I thought it was cool.
0: But you know what movie does hold up though? That's a holiday tradition. Was, and it's a wonderful life. A wonderful life.
1: Right. I actually saw so for they, the first time, continuous all the way through last year. First time, oh that's an amazing. I've movie. seen it, I definitely seen all of it before, but I'm talking about all right, it comes on, watch the entire thing. Yeah, so yeah. What'd you think? What'd you think? It was fine. I can I mean it's a holiday movie. It was um it, it, it was really bad. It was a it. flop it was when a it came complete out, flop. it only became big like later on with the whole idea. Like, well, you know, actually, thing. that's an you interesting story, it. too. So it came out in
0: came out in 1946, right? Frank Capra's um with Jimmy Stewart, and Jimmy Stewart is an interesting story as well. So Jimmy Stewart actually had fought. This movie came out in 1946 and Jimmy Stewart literally um, won an Oscar and then went and fought in world war two. Like he was a bomber yeah. pilot and he flew sorties. He flew missions. He, they said that a lot of his biographers believe that when he came back, he actually had PTSD. Like this guy saw so much carnage of war. Definitely. And again, he chose to do this. And so when he came back and he's playing a George Bailey and he's playing this kind of depressed character, He actually was extremely depressed in the filming of this movie, Um, you know, and so George Bailey's the suicidal guy. um, Obviously, that you know meets an angel that shows him what life would be without him. But as you mentioned, the movie was a flop, even though it was nominated for five Oscars. It didn't win any, but the reason it became so known and it became a holiday tradition—copyright, the copyright, copyright, right? Exactly in nineteen. Yeah, so no one really cared about this movie. And um, the producers kind of lapsed um, the copyrights in 1970s. Um, it kind of just went out there and it was no longer copyrighted because people forgot to renew the copyright for it. And therefore, it was free for TV stations. So they kind of grabbed this free movie uh, in the 70s and started showing it exclusively on NBC. They yeah, so have to pay royalties. Um, yeah, because they didn't have to pay any royalties. Um, and since then, it, it it's... It's on NBC every single year. It's
1: on all the channels. I think on some of the channels they show it like nonstop. They said right?
0: USA, USA, NBC at least since 1994 continuously has not yet stopped.
1: Yeah, I think like TNT shows it like well that and a Christmas Story, TBS. No, that Christmas Story They show story it it like all day long, nonstop. Up. Yeah,
0: I've actually been to that house, um, the Christmas, the Christmas tree, um, Christmas tree, Christmas Story, Christmas Story uh, house. Um, yeah, I went there with my kids last year. It's was, it was very interesting. Very interesting um, roadside attraction. But you just
1: think about like the whole Wonderful Life. Think how many shows did that parody. You know, like what's my life like? What's life like if I'm not – what's yeah. the world like when I'm not here? Like every every show has like that one episode at some point, like a parody yeah. of it and, and in some way, shape, or form. So so one other one before um, I let you jump
0: into something is uh, the idea of stockings. I feel like we should have done that before when we talk about, say, next. Oh, yeah. So according to a legend, original St. Nick, while he was traveling from village to village, um, heard about this merchant, right? That who had fallen to hard times and couldn't afford uh, dowries for his three daughters. So um, St. Nick knew this man would never accept money. So what he did is he threw three sacks of gold down the family chimney. And apparently the sacks landed in the daughter's stockings that were drying by the fireplace. And that kind of became the story that inspired this idea of, you know what? Uh, as a child, you should hang your – or leave your stockings by the fireplace in hopes that St. Nick would uh, leave you some little presents in there too, which I thought was kind of a cool stuff. Yeah, story. hanging
1: the dry and stuff, right? Those sorts of things. Yeah. All right, let me do one that's a little bit more modern. Go so for it. So one that um, came out in uh, 2005, and that's oh, the – Oh, yeah, I we were do Elf. <laughs> that's the Elf ah. on a Shelf, which uh-huh. um, I guess – commercializing holidays. You could like it, you could love it, or you could hate it um, because – It can create a lot of drama in the household. Um, Yes. Basically, the idea, it was a a book that came out. Um, Carol Abersold and her daughter, Shanda Bell, published this book, Elf on the Shelf, A Christmas Tradition. And they commercialized it. It comes with a toy. And it really caught on when people started posting pictures of it on social media, of the elf doing these crazy things like TPing the Christmas tree, putting elves, getting into like a bat of eggnog or spilling stuff over and it's be- it became this huge big thing Now they have elf pets and elf this and elf that it's definitely shown the commercialization of christmas and it becomes it's a big issue especially um if you have kids you know what we're talking about if you have one of these things um because it's what the elf is going to do where i got to find the elf if one kid wakes up before the other kid and if one kid tries to touch the elf with the whole using his elf magic powers and stuff like that it is a, it can be pretty stressful it can be pretty intense this elf on a shelf um I didn't even really know about it until my wife brought one home. That's just kind of... Oh no, you do it? Have a, you do it? Oh yeah, we do it. Yeah, uh, we do it. I'm probably going to have to after this go and uh, you know move around. It was what was good we did this year? I'm not going to say good, but what helped was that uh, when the elf went up, we kept him in a little box, this like Christmas cookie box, and just said, "Oh, he's in quarantine for, for two weeks." So, <laughs> so that gave us. So that gave you us. You quarantine We elf? quarantined the elf. Yeah, so we gave him two weeks when he when he wasn't allowed to like move around. He just had to stay in the in the box. So that was good. Oh, man. But now that, that <laughs> his quarantine ran out. So now we have to go and put him different places and have him in these different scenarios and stuff like that. But um, oh, you no, it makes it, you do it for the children, Peter. You do it for the children, of course. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you mentioned eggnog. It actually descends from a medieval drink, mm-hmm. um, posset, pa- pa- I think, um, and involves three years. Uh, it was made of initially ale, hot milk, spices, and other liquors. Um, and then later on is when eggs were actually added to the mix, right? Um, it says experts believe that nog comes from the word nogging uh, or noggin, rather a wooden cup used in pubs. So that's why it's eggnog, because there was an egg based drink that was spiced with liquors that came with a wooden cup. Which was also known as nog. But that's also very sure.
1: Americanized because the Americans are the ones the colonists actually that put um, rum into it. They were the ones that let's yeah. put rum into it. Yeah. And it became like the recipes and, and everything.
0: And they said uh, George Washington was one. of He loved eggnog. That was like his thing. Yeah,
1: he had his own special recipe, right? Yep. So yeah, going back. So anyway, there.
0: so that you kind of brought that up. That was interesting. And then mistletoe. Mistletoe is a little
1: odd. Which right? is poisonous. Get, it is poisonous.
0: It is, and it was interesting. Is at first. It comes from, you know, mistletoe's history is kind of, they said, rooted deeply in mythology as well, kind of like a lot of these things. And it said the plant was known throughout history for its healing properties, even though like we know for a fact today that it's actually extremely poisonous. Um, keep it away from your pets. And a uh, tradition of hanging mistletoe in homes could have come from several places. Main one thinks know the main idea is that it was ancient druids uh, believed that a plant restored fertility, um, possibly due to the fact that it bloomed um, during winter. I mean... I don't understand mistletoe. I've never actually – like besides movies. I've never never actually
1: seen it and then have like two people have to like kiss underneath it. Like I've never seen that. Never, never. In in, in actual life. So but I guess it makes for a good plot in those movies, especially the Hallmark and Lifetime movies, right? Right. The executive sees a mistletoe. She kisses and falls in love. Done. You know what we didn't mention though
0: when we talked about the – you know, Charlie Brown special in the, It's a Wonderful Life, the U-Log.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to go with the U-Log at some point, yes.
0: All right, go. Hit up Ulog. log You want to hit up U-Log? Yeah, a little bit I mean. about
1: the U-Log. Well, it basically it's, it goes back to the whole idea of the winter solstice, um, yeah. burning wood, staying warm and stuff. It actually was like really popular. And back in the 60s, 1966, um, WPIX, which around here would be Channel 11. Um, in New York, aired they aired a continuous loop. It was for hours, like six, seven hours, but it was actually only 17 seconds of an actual <laughs> fireplace. Um, And they would just play, you know, holiday music behind it. And then that, people just, like, they did that for 20 years. Eventually, they got rid of it. They actually brought it back a couple of years ago. Um, and also, you can find it on YouTube um, or any on the internet now people have these u logs and they just play holiday music it's the idea of having that burning fire in your home keeping you warm christmas morning that sort of thing but yeah the original one was only 13 seconds long on a continuous loop I great, great. That interesting yeah all That's right great. what else you got um let's see well, well what types of things i talking about well, how about something that a lot of people like to do which is the idea of gingerbread houses which actually okay. comes from queen elizabeth the first she gets credit for this for decorating gingerbread cookies once again um, the Germans lay claim to starting the whole gingerbread um, house tradition, though. So she's decorating the cookies, but the Germans have that. And um, G- um, the German brothers Grimm wrote the story Hansel and Gretel. I'm sure everyone heard of that. Um, so they talk about that. And they said that, you know, it was a gingerbread house that the lady was basically living in. And that creates this new holiday tradition. So people are, the whole idea of like edible decorations that you see. That kind of st- all stems from the idea of a gingerbread house. In Hansel and Gretel and decorating the cookies, which is something that Queen Elizabeth I liked to do because it kind of snowballs from there. Now you can buy like the prepackaged ones, I like Target, anywhere. It's a whole set altogether. Whenever we try to make them, they do not look like they look on the box. That's all I can say. <laughs> they, don't, no, they, no. they don't come out like that.
0: I, um, I have a couple of Hanukkah ones that I, I thought were kind of interesting. So, the one idea with Hanukkah, it really kind of exploded as like a major commercial phenomenon in the United States ultimately. And it was thought of that way, primarily because it overlapped Christmas. So from a religious perspective, Hanukkah overall remained a very relatively small holiday, um, up to its Americanization, I guess. Um, It didn't really have any restrictions on working, attending school activities, like, you know, you could just kind of go about your your day kind of thing. But then after World War II, it was decided that um, Jewish children should have something that was also special. Um, also, at the time of you know the more Christian holiday as well, which is when it became extremely commercialized in the sense of, hey, we should exchange gifts. Um, the one interesting thing that you know, like the dreidel games, I don't know if you you heard this one, but
1: we well, got it. I don't even sure you remember. I grew up where I grew up. It was I I lived in a very orthodox neighborhood. Jewish yeah. Orthodox neighborhood growing up. Uh, we were the only house with Christmas lights. Um, so I I was pretty well. My friends, my friends growing up were all Jewish. And I remember, yeah, playing the dreidel game. We would go over for these um, for a Hanukkah service. I'd go over with my friend's house because that's what you did. You know, I want to hang out yeah. with my friends. They're all celebrating Hanukkah. And they were always in awe of like the Christmas stuff. And I was in all, you know, I like the Hanukkah stuff. So, you know, seeing something different it was kind of cool.
0: It's kind of cool. Uh, the dreidel actually comes from. It was a way for young Jewish uh, kids, and that you know that were studying Jewish uh, scripture to distract yeah. and trick Greek soldiers. The time when the Greeks disallowed Judaism and study of scripture, so they said that it was like a, a way to distract the Greeks. And they they, they played dreidel every time um, a Greek soldier would come out, like oh we're just playing dreidel, but really they were actually studying scripture, which in itself was the dreidel game was based on a, on a German game. Um, trend trendell i think yeah every, every,
1: everything's going back to those the pagan the germans everything nuts all this stuff is all going back there again it's the whole winter solstice that's where this is a lot of this stuff is all coming from the whole idea of the winter solstice Important. and you're so. seeing a lot more of that inclusion now too when i know when you go into the stores you'll see a lot more hanukkah merchandise they'll be selling yeah. manures they have um the um, i mean it was on shark tank um, um it's, it's like the the uh, jewish version of elf on a shelf it's called mensch on a bench I've just, Never heard of that. Yeah, it, it it was on Shark Tank, and it you know it was invested in. And it's, it's the same basic premise. do right? it it's like a rabbi, basically. It's the same basic premise of Elf on a Shelf, but they have mm. they have that. And I you know I keep on saying about that. There was recently a um, Hallmark Channel Hanukkah <laughs> romance movie, which a executive during Hanukkah comes back home and finds true love. V- very very heartwarming. Awesome. You know, it's very much comm- very commercialized, just like Christmas. Uh, it's Westernized. You can see, you know, commercialized, Westernized. Anything, any way they can make any sort of individuals, companies can make profit. Yes.
0: And actually, you know, initially Hanukkah is celebrated primarily in the home. Like, it's not in a synagogue. It's 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 meant as a home. It's holiday. a family,
1: yeah, more of a family affair. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well,
0: um, anything else before we go? I do. You know, I did find some wacky holiday traditions from around the world. Uh, I know Mexico, do you hear that Mexico, the night of the radishes? No,
1: the night of the radishes.
0: December 23rd, right? Um, Residents of one particular area of Mexico um, celebrate this night of radishes where artists carve these oversized radishes into intricate designs um, inspired by traditional Mexican folklore. It's like a December 23rd tradition, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then you have in Spain, the nativity figure of a guy That's literally going to the bathroom. Do you hear about that one? No. Catalonia, Spain. Christmas nativity scenes are not complete without a statue. El Caghenaner, I guess. (laughs) Uh, It is, you know, it's very controversial, but it depicts a person that's squatting bare bottom and answering a call to nature. And that's literally part of their nativity sets. Um, And the church argues that it may be inappropriate, but it's tolerated by the church because it's become such a widespread tradition in the region of Spain where your nativity set has a dude that's literally taking a dump.
1: Well, whatever works. To each to each their own. To each their own. <laughs> to each their own. All right. You got anything else? Well oh, just um probably the most funny we're talking about Christmas trees before I guess kinda of summed it up, but the most famous Christmas tree is probably the one at Rockefeller Center. Mm-hmm. And that actually started in um construction workers who were working there. I so put that up in nineteen thirty one and then it's been a tradition there um ever since that put up the rockefeller christmas Did you, ever, you ever go to the rockefeller center tree i have I, yeah, i've never gone here. Yeah, i i've gone and like it was very rockefeller Center. like you see it on tv like wow then you go there it is a lot smaller than you think it is
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm not gonna say it's underwhelmed but it's like wow this is the whole thing like it, it's not as big as you think it is the trees there um you know it's it's it, that's when that's when that tradition started and it's um i think believe it was a great depression thing yeah, so depression, depression yeah. Thing. that's also when they started putting the great depression when they started putting uh individuals started leaving cookies and milk for santa claus again it goes yes. back to north tradition they always leave something some sort of offering but basically when i think of the depression decided to leave something sweet out and that's when it starts the whole leaving cookies and milk for santa claus during like the the years of the great depression cool i right, have to do it
0: i want i want cookies and milk now
1: that's, that's always it's always good
0: all right. Well, I, I guess that, that right. I, I don't really have anything else. That was, that was a lot of stuff. Yeah, A
1: lot of stuff. I mean, it's probably a ton of stuff that we missed too. Obviously,
0: yeah. You know what I really want to do?
1: We um, can always do a much. We can do an actual um, analysis of the He-Man Shira Christmas special. <laughs> I'm just saying. Of course. I mean,
0: what I really, honestly, what I really want to do is, I would love to do something about the holiday, the Christmas truce in World War One. I. I think yeah, that would a, a great, that
1: would be a good idea. Yeah.
0: So maybe, maybe, but, um, we have a year, year. we have a year, we have a year to ponder, uh, until then, just to remind you guys to, uh, you know, wherever you do listen to us, please uh, make sure you hit subscribe. Um, you wind up getting our episodes a little quicker than if you don't hit subscribe. And also you could find us at history teachers, talking podcast on Facebook. And we are also on, um, Twitter, on the web, on the web, Twitter, Twitter, and on the web, uh, com, and uh, we're also on Instagram, Twitter, yeah, and, and Facebook. So uh, please do not be afraid to kind of reach out, email us with any questions or suggestions. Yeah, hey, we've been
1: getting them, everyone who has sent us to them so far, you know, thank you, we appreciate it, appreciate the feedback, absolutely. appreciate the suggestions, absolutely. absolutely.
0: So, and we have quite a few suggestions now, I, I we're kind of scheduled them into our January sch- schedule, so we're trying to get a little bit more organized, we're, we're thinking ahead of it, as opposed to like, hey, what do you want to do this week? <laughs> we're getting we're getting a little better. We're getting
1: a little better with this. Here and there.
0: All right. So thank you for listening. Uh for those of that was the first time, thank you for coming in. For those who have been here for, you know, a few episodes or since the beginning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, you know, until next time, guys, take care.
1: Yeah, take care. I have to go um, put the elf somewhere now. So have a good night, guys.
0: <laughs> Later. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. a Civil War Army doctor, and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.